Hi there, my name's Jack, and I love horrible movies. Each week on the Horrible Movie Podcast, producer Phil, a guest, and I talk about a horrible movie. We talk about the actors, directors, the budget, the box office, and like thereof. You also get silly songs, fake commercials, and too much fun to list on this promo. Available everywhere you get your podcast. Remember, just because it's from Hollywood doesn't mean it isn't horrible. The Sports Yak Podcast is powered by Notre Dame Athletics. Experience the excitement of cheering the fighting Irish onward to victory. Tickets for Notre Dame Athletic events are available at und.com slash buy tickets. Also by Pyramid Equipment. Be prepared this winter season by checking the condition of your snow removal equipment. Pyramid Equipment is a locally owned business in Rolling Prairie, Indiana that sells, services, and installs residential and commercial grade snow plows, parts, and salt spreaders. Pyramid Equipment is your trusted dealer of Meyer and Snow Dog products. Old man winter's ready. Are you? Service discount for military, fire, and police available. Call 800-833-2591 or find them on the web at PyramidEquipmentInc.com. Second and 10, pressure picked up here. Book stays in and throws complete. Javon McKinley has a first down and more. Stays in bounds to the 40, moves inside to the 30, sneaks his way to the 20, tumbles to the 10, and is all the way home. A spectacular run by Javon McKinley. 65. From South Bend, Indiana, you know where that's at. I don't. It's Sports Yak with Corey Mann and Chuck Freebie. I'm the booth announcer, Jim Shorts. Sports Yak! It's Monday, it's the start of the new week, and it's episode 140 of the Sports Yak. Oh, that's the Pinky Higgins episode. Isn't that one of the bad guys from the Pac-Man game, Pinky? Uh, could be. But Pinky Higgins uh, hit 140 home runs in his big league career. He is tied for the major league record with 12 consecutive hits. In other words, he came up 12 straight times and had base hits. Uh, later became a general manager for the Boston Red Sox in the late 50s and early 60s. Uh, played some years with the Detroit Tigers. Pinky Higgins, 140. Any story behind the name? Uh, apparently, he was given the name as a kid and hated it, but it stuck. Pinky Higgins. Yeah. We salute you. So, man, if you were a fan of the sports teams within our area this weekend, there's no need to have a frown. You turn that bad boy upside down on a Monday. Absolutely. Uh, a rare NFL regional sweep. Plus, uh, the Irish look strong, and uh, the Cubs had a great weekend as well. Now, if you're an IU or Purdue fan, and eh, not so much. <laughs> Let's start with the NFL. That's the freshest okay. in the box. Obviously, uh, for you and for me, it was watching the Bears game. And the final minute of that game, if, if you missed the first 59 minutes, you didn't really miss anything. And if you watched the final minute of that game, you had enough excitement to keep you going all weekend long. Denver looked awful against the Bears' defense for the first three and a half quarters of the game. And then whether it was the altitude, which seemed to be the theme that the Fox crew was trying to hammer on, or just the fact that Joe Flacco kind of found his groove, whatever the case, the Broncos started moving the ball down the field, and they scored touchdown with 31 seconds left to trail 13-12. to 
Vic Fangio, the former Bears defensive coordinator, decides to go for two and the win. And in making that decision he took too long, they take a delay of game. So now the Broncos have to kick the extra point. They go, what, back five yards? They Well, if you're going for two, you get the ball at the two-yard line. Okay. If you're kicking the extra point, that's done from the 15. So now with the penalty, that's done from the line of scrimmage is the 20, so it winds up being a 37-yard attempt for an extra point. Oh, that's quite a difference between two-yard line. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now, but... They, they did not do a good job of spelling that out like you just did. I did not notice it was that far. Right. Interesting. So the penalty... Had they had they taken the penalty for the two-point conversion and tried it, they would have been trying for the, from the seven-yard line. Mm-hmm. Well, your odds on that dwindle significantly. So he's going to try for the kick extra point now, 37 yards, and it's missed. And there's jubilation among Bears fans, except hold everything, there's a flag on the play, and the Bears are offside. Mm-hmm. So now, again, you get the choice on the offside call whether you're going to move the ball up five yards from where you kicked it or whether you're going to go half the distance from the two. Who was the player that was offsides with it starts with an S? Uh, Scrine? Scr- uh, he had he was he was typically one of the safeties. He was a pit bull yesterday, yeah. man. Mm-hmm. He was they unleashed him screen? Screen. Screen, okay. So Denver decides now they're going to go for two again. And they get it. They throw a little out pattern to Emmanuel Sanders. He makes the catch. So the Broncos lead at 14-13. Bears have to come back down the field. They have 31 seconds to do so. They get the ball at their own 25. Mitch Trubisky takes a hit on the first play. And I'll be honest, Corey, it's a hit that I thought was perfectly legal. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, Bradley Chubb, the fine defensive end for the Broncos, is called for roughing the passer. Now, this wasn't the first roughing the passer penalty in this game that I disagreed with. I just think that they're giving way too much protection to quarterbacks these days. Can I hit the pause button for a second? Do you think Nagy knew the play was, let's get it to where our kicker can kick it in, or let's get a touchdown? Where do you think? Oh, no, he's just trying to get the field goal. Let's get the field goal. Yeah, okay. he doesn't have enough time to drive down the field for a touchdown. Okay. Yeah, he's trying to get the field goal. So 31 seconds, they get a big break with this roughing the passer penalty. Moves the ball up to the 40. They're looking at 4th and 10 eventually. And Trubisky scrambles with 9 seconds left. Trubisky scrambles in the pocket, keeps the play alive, finds an open receiver down the middle, he falls down like he's shot as soon as he catches the ball. <laughs> Bears use their last timeout. And, and there was a little bit of scuffle about that. There was you know? a little bit of question whether there was one second left or zero. Although, honestly, watching the game, when he hit the ground, there was time left on the clock. And mm-hmm. they called the timeout right away, which typically in that kind of situation, a coach goes to the official and says, if we get as soon as my player hits the ground, I want a timeout. So, boom. Timeout is called. The Bears trot Eddie Pinheiro out onto the field. Eddie Pinheiro, and, and we told the story before on Sports Jack about how he got his college scholarship, um, how he has survived this kicking competition that the Bears had in the offseason. 
And he had made a 53-yard field goal earlier in the game for Chicago. So now this one is going to be from 52. But the difference is earlier in the game, the 53-yard field goal didn't have any pressure on it. This one, the 52-yarder, has all the pressure in the world on it. And here's what happened. And the kick by Pinheiro is good. It's good, and the Bears win it. In one of the most dramatic finishes you'll ever see, the Chicago Bears beat the Broncos 16-14 to on a 53-yard field goal by Eddie Pinheiro. So... Pinheiro hits the field goal. The Bears win 16-14. to uh, The Bears video crew got great video of Pinheiro yelling, let's go, as they come off the field. And um, he led Club Dub in a little dance competition uh, after the game back in the Bears locker room. But I did notice, and I think you noticed the same thing, when he ran out on the field, he made the sign of the cross over himself as he ran out onto the field. And apparently, Eddie Pinheiro had something to say about that after the game as well. I mean, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you better start because he's real. And that's like the biggest, on that, that's the biggest thing I can say. I uh, texted you probably about four minutes left in the game. It seemed like they were doing the same play over, run it up the middle, run it up the middle, run it up the, it felt like it was about six plays. I was like, come on, go to the side, go to the left, go to the right. Do something different. I didn't text you. I texted a completely different person. Yes, you did, because I never got that text. <laughs> it was post, what is love? Larry Mo Curly, Mo Curly, no Mo. <laughs> yeah, you should see some of the things I get from this guy during a game. I thought uh, the Bears offense was nowhere to be found during the game. Um, I like me some Mitchell Trubisky, but he's got to get rid of that mustache and start throwing the ball a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, I like Pagano's play calling. I thought for uh, defense, for defense. Yeah. Um, no, he dialed up some good blitzes. They got pressure on Joe Flacco throughout the day. I, I thought the front four for the bears had a very good game. I wasn't thrilled that the pressure was put on that kicker in the second game of the season. I told Debbie, if he misses this, Chicago will have his head on a stick. Even though they didn't play that great the entire game, it comes down to the kicker. Right. You know? Thank well, that's God. the nature of the job. Thank God that's what you're it. getting paid for. Yeah. Because when you think about it, he doesn't really have to do that much, Corey. No. Just get ready. So... That is the nature of the beast in the National Football League, that you don't notice the kicker until he misses a kick. And then all of a sudden, or in this case, he makes a pressure kick, Mm -hmm. and he could be the mayor of Chicago today. I tell you who's probably hanging their head super low this morning as far as kickers is Adam Vinatieri. Oh, boy. And I asked the question on Twitter yesterday, is this the end for Adam Vinatieri? He misses two extra points in the Colts' 1917 win over Tennessee. And Tennessee's got the ball in the final minutes, trying to get down the field, trying to do the same thing the Bears did, kick a game-winning field goal. And had they done that, that loss would have been squarely on the shoulders of Adam Vinatieri. But now Jim Ursay and the rest of the Colts have to have to answer some questions here as to whether they're going to stay with Adam Vinatieri as their kicker. He's 46 years old, and maybe the end is here for his career. 
Colts do continue their dominance over Tennessee. Uh, Jacoby Brissett to T.Y. Hilton for the game winner with just over or just under five minutes left. And Indianapolis wins that game 19-17. But I can tell you two things are going to be the main topic of discussion in Indianapolis Sports Radio today. One is Adam Vinatieri. And two is a call that Frank Reich makes with about two and a half minutes to go in the game. Mm Mm-hmm. Indianapolis has a fourth and one on its own 38. Colts have been running the ball pretty well in the second half, but they're on you're on your own 38. So the question is, do you go for it or do you punt the ball away and give Tennessee a chance to go down the field? They still had two timeouts left. Frank Reich makes the call, I'm going for it. And here's why. Saw this stat earlier this morning. 85% of the time in the NFL, when a team goes for it on fourth and one with a quarterback sneak, they make it. 85%. 85%. So if you're thinking about the calculated risk and the reward, well, the risk isn't that great, and the reward is you keep the ball and you make Tennessee use its last two timeouts, so even when they do get the ball back, they have no timeouts left, and you really put the pressure on them. Great call by Frank Reich. He goes for it. Brissett gets the first down, and the Colts wind up winning the football game. What do you think about Jacoby so far? I, I think he's pretty much what Indianapolis fans thought he would be. Is he is he Andrew Luck? No, he's not Andrew Luck. He's not Peyton Manning either. But he's a serviceable NFL starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure that he's uh, Jimmy Garoppolo who threw three touchdowns yesterday. But he's he's all right. Okay. Lions win over the Chargers 13-10. to I, I did not spend much time observing this game. I can tell you Matthew Stafford throws the game-winning touchdown to Kenny Galloway midway through the fourth. And the Lions uh, are somehow still unbeaten after two weeks. They're 1-0-0. And one, and the Chargers even up at one and one. That's, I know I took the Chargers on Friday. In retrospect, I probably should have given more thought to the fact that it's an early Sunday morning game and it has you so much out of your routine for a, a West Coast team to go and play that early game on the East Coast. But um, Philip Rivers didn't look, I mean, it wasn't all his fault. Um, he was, I think, 22 out of 29, so that's reasonably accurate. They just couldn't get any kind of running game going against the Lions. You bring up a fascinating point that I thought about for a while yesterday was when a team goes someone somewhere else, Denver, they talked a lot about the elevated altitude. level and altitude, going places that are hotter than what you're used to, um, Yeah, getting up uh, three hours earlier than you're used to. What else would be a big cultural shock to another team? Um, those are pretty those are much the big, the, ones. the big ones. Yeah. The time zone change, and I think it's worse for the West Coast teams going east than it is for the East Coast teams going west. The weather. Where's the hottest place to play? Well, I would think Miami. Miami. Yeah. It didn't seem to bother the Patriots yesterday. <laughs> no. Here's why. They got to play Miami. Mm-hmm. And the Dolphins, may, the Dolphins 
might be so bad, I'm not sure that there's some college teams that couldn't beat them. Oh, my goodness. I have no desire to watch Monday Night Football tonight, but their 50th anniversary. The Browns and the Jets were the very first game on Monday Night Football. The original Monday Night Football crew, by the way, Keith Jackson, Howard Cosell, and Dandy Don Meredith. Oh, boy. And, of course, Howard had the opportunity to wax prosaic about Joe, Willie, Namath, and uh, and the New York football Jets. So that's that's the only appeal to that game. Jets will be without their starting quarterback, Sam Darnold. He is out with mononucleosis. And, of course, the Browns have Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham. You never know really what to expect from them. Of course, you don't know what to expect from the Monday Night Football crew either. But, uh, yeah, that's the game tonight. Let's uh, shift to college. College football over the weekend. Notre Dame rolls up 66 on New Mexico. Ian Book throws five touchdown passes, although that seems a bit of a misnomer because two of those passes didn't go any more than 12 inches. They're those little shovel passes that he throws to a, a receiver in motion going behind the offensive line, mm-hmm. and he just kind of pitches it to him. and both times the receiver, uh, one time it was Avery Davis, another time it was John, Javon McKinley, both able to score. So the Irish have no problem with Los Lobos uh, winning that one. Still a lot of questions about this team as they go down to Athens, Georgia, for a showdown with number 3 Georgia on Saturday. College game day will be there for its pregame show. And can the Irish stop a team from running the football? Uh, I believe there are 123 teams in Division I college football, Corey. And Notre Dame's rushing defense right now ranks 120th. And Georgia has a veteran offensive line and a slew of talented running backs. And that, for Irish fans, is the reason that Notre Dame is a 13.5-point underdog in this game despite being ranked in the top 10. Here's what I like about Chuck Freeby broadcasts is you do your homework and you throw in these wonderful little nuggets of joy about a player or a coach or whatever. In the press box on Saturday, every now and then that would happen. Mm -hmm. Like when they scored 66 points, you'd hear a voice go, the last time that happened was this. Do they have some kind of Chuck Freebie type person up there that knows that stuff or some kind of computer program that they plug that in? And There's a you? computer program that they're using to look stuff up. Okay. Pretty so, impressive. I like those little, you know, what was the last time we had 66 points? Right. So it was Haskell in 1930. Well, the last time Notre Dame scored 60 points or more was against UMass in 2015. Yeah. The last time they did it in a home opener was against Haskell, which is now an Indian Reservation College in Lawrence, Kansas. They did it against them in 1932. They scored 73 points that day. That's fascinating stuff. Yeah. yeah. Now, let's let's hit the pause button on the weekend recap because for the first time in a long time, you were in the Notre Dame press box for the game because you are now one of the co-hosts of this show and you are a credentialed member of the sports media. Tell, take us through the experience. So I uh, had my parking pass uh, that said library on it, and Chuck gave me a, like a window of time where I should show up. 
I decided to go a little bit earlier than that, and I showed up, and I had my kind of pass in my hand. A couple of officers were slightly rude to me. Like, we'd, we'd tell you a lot better where you need to go if we could see your actual pass. And I said, well, the directions are on the back, so I'm kind of reading it as I go. It's my first time. They didn't care. So I parked in the Wilson lot. I'm not sure where that is. Uh, if you were standing on top of the library, uh, northeast corner of campus. Okay. okay. I know where that is. Yeah. So then I start walking, walking my way in. I go into a gate one to get my press pass. I'm told with the um, the string that goes around. The, the uh, lanyard. The lanyard. If I'm going to come back, I should keep that. Yes. I noticed that someone uh, turned in a photo of me meeting Captain America as my press photo. I appreciated that. You're welcome. Fun little, hey, I know that photo from somewhere. Put it around my neck, and then I kind of read all the, I read the entire rules on the back. Okay. And uh, <laughs> you're, I, the, you're the first, but yeah, thank you. Because I kind of wanted to know. Yeah. They, they had like a, a sheet of who wears what and what gets you where. Yes. And I uh, selfishly wanted to be where you were at on the field. I kind of wanted to watch you do your thing. Mm -hmm. My past doesn't allow me to do that. Yes. But it took a while for little uh, intern boy to, to find that out. I'm a number five. You're five. You can go down to the field after the game, but you just yes. can't be there before. So I sat down and started to watch. Uh, I, I've, I know of a lot of media people. I don't know them particularly. But uh, I saw somebody you were talking with, so I kind of butted in on your well, conversation. You, and, and I was pleased to see uh, you and Tom Noy mm -hmm. uh, have some common ground on some things. We do. Tom, Tom is one of my favorites. He, he and I, our relationship goes back to the times when we were covering Notre Dame hockey, when nobody cared about Notre Dame hockey because wow. they weren't that good. Uh, and I would do play-by-play, -play, and he was the Tribune beat writer for Notre Dame Hockey prior to uh, moving on up in the world to Notre Dame men's basketball. We're going to get him on, so I'm going to save yes. my comments and questions for that time. But he, but I like him. But you and he share a common love for Mr. Kevin Matthews. Yes, who won a major award on uh, Saturday night. And um, now now the, the dinner table at Rocco's is getting a little bigger once we get <laughs> Kevin back down here. And uh, we get to have that conversation. Uh, you know, and some local reporters that I've had relationships with. I saw Bob Henning, who was yeah. the engineer back in the day mm -hmm. at U93, sat next to Bob Nagel for the game. Uh, to my right was Allison Hayes and her husband and the, the gang from 57. You were down a little ways uh, with your gang from uh, the WNDU. TV show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting. And you said, bring sunglasses, and you weren't kidding. And you were not kidding. I was okay till about three o'clock, and then it got uh, interesting. I tried to warn you. Yeah, and it is so incredibly quiet in that mm -hmm. press box. Like I know how loud it is in the stadium because I started writing down the uh, the song titles, which I thought was very interesting that they would use at Notre Dame Stadium, and they were loud. But the there's such a great sound barrier, right? I'm guessing it's those windows. It, it's almost too much because it yeah. almost feels like you're not at the game. Mm -hmm. And um, you can kind of tell when that big screen is pumping in crowd noise and when it isn't. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Those moments of like, oh, look what's happening here. So A much different perspective than you get in the stands. Agreed. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Now, um, you mentioned writing down the music. So what struck you about the music? 
three Metallica songs that are pretty obscure. But mm-hmm. to a fan like me, I was like, oh, Bread Fan. And uh, something from the first record. And then something uh, a little later in their career, later in the game. I heard Pantera, Cowboys from Hell, which I thought, wow, that's being played at Notre Dame Stadium. And a couple of like alternative songs that you know people might have forgotten. You know, rock alternative songs. Now, you know those. How many people of the 80,000 assembled? Right. How many people do you think could have ripped off the title of those? That's that's an interesting question. I think their response as an arena, as a stadium, lets Mr. DJ or whoever that is let them know that, all right, this is a good song to pump us up and get us back into this game. Right. Who is that, by the way? Do you I know? don't know. That'd be an interesting job. I wouldn't mind that one. I know you want that job. You want that job there. You want it for self-pavilion. <laughs> you want to be the purveyor of music mm-hmm. in Notre Dame. That'd be fun, at least once. Uh, I found it interesting that um, the announcer for the band, JT, is actually on the field. Spotted him on the 50-yard line. We've heard his voice for years. Right. thought that was interesting that he was down there. Um, And the amount of people in the end zone before the game. Oh, yeah. Uh, whether way, that's... Way too many. Is that, uh, you know, recruits and families? It's is recruits that recruits and families. It's different programs. For instance, men's basketball had some recruits in, so they were down there. Uh, you've got some New Mexico people down there. There's a lot. You have of people. some of the beautiful people down there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So interesting. And the last time I was in the press box, it was on the opposite side. Yes. And um, the first time I ever got to go into that press box, we were both working at Channel 16, and it felt like you had to climb into a tree fort where yes. we sat. Mm-hmm. It, and it was and there was like no window. It was like a barn door thing. Right. And there was a little TV and uh two or three people would be sitting in there. And it was Jeffers back in the day yeah. who was just too busy pacing mm-hmm. everywhere. Every now and then I think you'd stop by. Jack Nolan would stop by, an engineer would be in there. Yeah. But yeah. Lots changed since those days. Well, yeah. Now you have these sky boxes all around the stadium. Yes. And they it's clear the determination they made, and and I'm not asking for anybody's sympathy, but it's clear that they said, well, we don't want the sun in the face of the beautiful people all day. Mm-hmm. Let's fry the media. <laughs> and, and so they do. Yeah. And people are working in that working press. Oh, yeah. There's, There's no jacking around, you know, people just kind of standing around, you know, talking game i mean it's there people are working uh, tom i mean he was firing up the old computer there i think at twelve thirty. yeah and i was like what are you doing so early but i'm sure he's got cause to do all that he, i mean well first of all the demands of social media these days yeah cause all of us to be on the computer during the game mm-hmm. in fact i'm on the computer far more than i'd like to be during the game but i'm also trying to keep our followers informed as to what's going on uh i know a lot of people you know aren't necessarily at the game then maybe they're out watching their kids activities or something like that right so you try to keep people abreast of what's going on and also perhaps give them some analysis or some of those nuggets that were handed that uh, aren't necessarily going out to everybody else i saw one in the 
this uh, as I read this from That's uh, the game day program, which uh, is about the size of a uh, Sears catalog now. Yeah, I read this from front to back, and uh, I saw one little nugget in here that, um, I don't know, got a little flack about because I tweeted about it. You got flack over yes. one of your tweets? Yeah, who, somebody, who gave you flack? Uh, somebody threw Sports Yak. It was... Um, the tweet was, Brian Kelly is nine wins away from being the winningest coach at Notre Dame. Right, yeah. And someone said something to the effect of something about percentage and Newt Rockney and you, you, know, you tell well, me that and then we'll... Okay, yeah, the, the point, I get their point. Their point being that Brian Kelly gets to coach more games in a season than Rockney used to coach. Rockney only used to get to coach 10 games in a season. Mm -hmm. Brian Kelly gets to coach at least 12 and usually 13 if they make a bowl game. So, yes, that skews it somewhat, but it doesn't take away from the fact that he's closing in. He's closing in on both Rockney and Holtz. Yeah, that's a huge uh, – that's going to be a big day. I bet you they'll make a big deal out of, of that Of course one. they will. Yeah. And uh, not too many come close after those three. Right. Yeah. Leahy would be in the ballpark, probably. Um, and then after that, most people weren't there that long. Mm -hmm. it, it's a job that takes a toll on people. Yeah. Even Era. I mean, Era's era was 1964 to 1974. How many wins did he have? 51. Fif oh, they, era had to have more than 51 wins. 51 wins. Ties with Lou Holtz. Let me see how they did this here. 51, 6, and 1. Wow. And then look up at the top there. Oh, that's, but, okay. That's in Notre Dame Stadium. Okay. That's the difference there. This is the Notre Dame Stadium record. Okay. Not overall right. record. Okay. That's not in here. So. Oh, I take that. Well, no, it's not in here. Okay. Well, anyways. And that girl right there runs the Learner Theater in Elkhart. So, oh, okay. So, nice magazine, which though. Is, which is fine for the podcast people who can't see it. <laughs> um, anyway, so that was your Notre Dame experience. Irish and Georgia, we'll talk about more as the week goes on. Indiana just gets uh, boat raced by Ohio State. Purdue, non-competitive with TCU, both of them missing their starting quarterbacks. It's funny, you read the stories out of Bloomington and, and the IU media trying to make it sound like, well, Michael Penix would have made a difference. No, no, he wouldn't. Ohio State's that much better than Indiana right sure. now. Um, would Elijah Sindelar make a difference for Purdue? Maybe. He might have made a difference in that one. They're hoping to get him back in time for the Big Ten opener with Minnesota in two weeks. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bore you with a lot of IU or Purdue football talk because quite frankly, there wasn't a whole lot to talk about in those games. IU plays Connecticut this week. You can hear it at noon on Pulse FM. Uh a chance for them to bounce back before they get into the rest of their Big Ten schedule. Purdue? Purdue is off this week. Oh, okay. Uh, high school football real quick. We are week four. We have completed week four. We get ready for week five, which is the midpoint of the season. Who is the shiny ball team, in your opinion? Like, wow, they are 
having quite a season. Well, there's there's a number of them. I think you look at Elkhart Central, 4-0, as they enter Northern Indiana Conference play this week. Uh, their defense looking very good. Dominic Davis ran for 256 yards and tied the school record with six touchdowns the other night in a 41 nothing win over Benton Harbor. Marion, awfully good. Uh, their defense outstanding. They beat Riley 48-14 Friday night. Uh, they are ranked highly in Class 3A. Uh, we saw Plymouth knock off Northridge, take them out of the uh, ranks of the unbeaten over the weekend. Valparaiso, solid. They beat Michigan City over the weekend. Uh, their defense is very strong. There's some nice surprise teams this year. Fairfield's 3-1. and one. South Bend Washington is 3-1. and one. Those are good to see. Riley is 3-1. and one. Uh, That's nice to see. Um, I guess I can't say round up the usual suspects because Penn is one and three, Northwood two and two. We'll see Jimtown Friday night. They're two and two. Those are teams that you typically expect to have really good records that aren't having really good records right now. So I would say the creme de la creme right now, Elkhart Central, New Prairie. New Prairie ran the ball for like 465 yards on Friday night in a win over St. Joe. Uh, Elkhart Central, New Prairie, Marion. In Indiana, those are the prime teams. Now up in Michigan, Kissopolis has not been scored on yet. They had another shutout on Friday night as they beat Centerville. Edwardsburg has only given up eight points this year. They've outscored their opposition 148-8. to And they've got their big game coming up with Vicksburg this weekend. So those are the two that really get my attention in southwest Michigan. And I've noticed Dwajak, after that season-opening loss to Edwardsburg, has mm-hmm. come back with two solid wins, and Kalen Murphy having a, a good year at quarterback. So uh, those are some to keep an eye on up in the state of Michigan. Let's move to uh, baseball. A lot of runs for the Cubs, and I, I shake my head at it. Where have these bats been the last three weeks? Well, Joe Madden just told him to go play loose, and it helps when you face the Pittsburgh Pirate pitching staff. <laughs> uh, and they did play loose, and they set a franchise record for most runs in a three-game series, pummeling Pittsburgh 16-6 to yesterday. 47 runs. Was it 47? Let's see. They went 17. Yeah, 47 runs in the three-game series against the Pirates. And a lot of this from people like Chris Bryant. Deep to left. It is gone. Number 30. Bryant becomes the third Cubs third baseman in franchise history to have multiple 30 home run seasons. He passes Ernie Banks in terms of the most home runs in the first five years of his career. And, uh, helped really lead a resurgence of the Cub offense over the weekend. So now the Cubs, just two games behind St. Louis in the National League Central. Cardinals have to face Washington this week with that strong pitching staff. Cubs are playing the Reds early in the week, and then later in the week, Cubs and Cardinals go head-to-head. The big question right now for the Cubs, can they survive yet another injury? Anthony Rizzo tried to chase down a bunt yesterday, has his right ankle go in the wrong direction. Rolls it pretty severely, has a severe sprain of the ankle. X-rays show no fracture, but he'll have an MRI today. And the Cubs lose yet another player to injury this year. Man, 
they're starting to really add up on the north side of town. But they're still in the thick of this race. As we mentioned, two behind St. Louis for the division, one ahead of Milwaukee for the National League's second wild card spot. We could talk about the White Sox and the Tigers, but that would be a waste of time. You're a Blackhawks fan, aren't you? I am a Blackhawks fan, and I was shocked, shocked, I tell you, when I looked at my screen this morning and saw, hey, the preseason opener is tonight. They're opening their season, by the way, uh, I believe the first weekend of October over in Prague, Czechoslovakia. Wow. That's yeah. a planning ride. So that'll be interesting to see how that affects them in the early part of the season. But I'd love to see them come back to the form. It, it all, Corey, it all really depends on their goalie, Corey Crawford, mm-hmm. and if he can stay healthy. If he can stay healthy, I think the Blackhawks can be a, a playoff contention team. If he can't stay healthy, then it's going to kind of be like it's been the last couple of years. If I programmed a classic rock station or a rock station, this next Saturday and Sunday would be total cars, total Eddie Money. Well, they they played a little bit of Eddie Money at the stadium on Saturday. I did hear that. tribute to him and then to find out yesterday about the death of Rico Kasich, who, as, as somebody put it online, was the poster boy for overachieving when you are an ugly man and what you're able to get as your wife when he supermodel Paulina Porozkova is his wife. And let's face it, Rick Ocasek, not a looker. No. Uh, but, <laughs> but a talented musician, boy. The Cars in the 80s um, for a group probably as good as it got in the mid-80s, that stretch between, let's say, 85 and 88. Uh, the one album, I think, had five singles that were in the top 40. Do you have an actual song that you liked from them? Oh, I, I liked uh, quite of their music, but uh, that video for You May Think I'm... Uh, you Might Think? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, I believe, uh, was the first winner of an MTV Music Video Award. Ooh, good trivia question. I have an Eddie Money story. You do? If I Did I tell you this on a Friday when you were stopped sure. down to see me? So we had a program director back in the day named Bill, and Bill was close with Eddie Money. And so when Eddie would come to town, and Eddie had a great relationship with all the radio stations that he would work with, and um, the morning he was going to play at that Mishawaka bowling alley that's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Parkway. Doing, yeah. yeah, Parkway. He was on with us in the morning, and I was doing a stunt. Uh, I, w- I had a mower in the U93 van, and you had to mow U93 in your yard. The yard had to be over overgrown and right. really had to be able to see it. And so the board op put Eddie on the phone with me while I was doing that stunt. And um, it ended up being a high school girl that won the tickets to the show. And I had to give her a ride to school post stunt because she missed the bus. Oh, wow. And so Eddie says something like, you got two tickets to paradise in that van. It was making these like corny jokes. Fast forward to the show. He and his beautiful wife get into a little bit of a spat on the tour bus. Oh, no. And she ends up going back to the hotel, and, you know, you can finish the night out by yourself. Show gets over. 
Debbie and I are on the the tour bus with Bill, my boss. This is a Dave Matthews old tour bus that Eddie has bought from him. And Eddie is a sweaty mess in like he's wearing a sweater, Chuck, at the show. He's wearing a sweater. And he's like, man, I usually like to party with my wife afterwards, but she's not here, so we're just going to party out of us. And he looks at my wife, and he looks at me, and he goes, do you mind if I kiss your wife? And I just started laughing. I was like, you'll have to ask her. I'm okay with it. And she's like, sure. But it was just so funny. Do you mind if I kiss your wife? There's a photo somewhere of the three of us when that happened. And uh, I can't find it to save my life. But then years later, we would see him at Heartland downtown. He did two shows back-to-back for his birthday. And uh, I relayed that story. I said, you kissed my wife back. And he's like, oh, yeah, you about to fuck kiss your wife. Kind of brought that one out as a greatest hit. Eddie Money. I'm just trying to get over Eddie Money playing the Parkway bowling lanes. Yeah. Like, uh, late. it was late 90s. You know, 97, you know, 98. by then he'd had hits. Yeah. But, I mean, it was kind of washed up, you know. Uh, yeah, you got, you know, you got I your guess. Big, you got your big five Eddie Money songs, and that's about it, you know. This is a good one, though. I think this is the one we heard at the stadium. Yes. You got two tickets. That's how he ends this Everybody got two tickets. Paradise. Oh, well. He was I, a great storyteller. I heard from many different people that he was really good dude. Yeah, really good dude, great storyteller. Great cop stories. He used to be a New York cop. Really? Before, I didn't know that. Yeah, before he was a singer. So he had some, you know, when you're on the tour bus and you start rolling out some of those stories, you're like, wow. And then, he, you know, when he came up in the 70s, he toured with everybody. The Sammy Hagars, the, you know, Led Zeppelins, the uh, all, all, all in that genre right there. Late 70s, Van Halen. Oh, my goodness. So anyways, if I programmed a classic rock station this next weekend... Cars, any money, twofers. Well, one wonders what might. Don't these things usually happen in threes? They so do. One wonders. Oh, who else might be in the news before Friday? If that happens, it's gonna freak me out. Now, how old was Eddie Money when he passed? Seventy, I think seventy. And Rick O'Case. Here's the thing that scared me. Rick Ocasek is seventy-five. Well, there's been some back and forth about that. I think some people got that wrong. Okay. Uh. Eddie was born in 1949, so what's that math? Well, that would make him 70, yeah. Okay. Rick Ocasek, 1949. Okay, so he's 70. Yeah. That sounds... Actually, I thought Ocasek might be even in his 60s, so... hmm Yeah. March 23rd, 1949. Six foot four. And a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Mm-hmm. Cars got inducted in what, 2008, somewhere in there? Mm-hmm. 2018. 2000, oh, so not that long ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, hang on a second here. What? What bothers you on the Google machine here? It says March 23rd, 1949, born in Baltimore. Then I click Wikipedia, and it says March 23rd, 1944. Yeah, that's why some people were saying he's 75. Uh, when was it, Internet? Oh, well. That's the thing. Can't trust the Internet. Here's the one thing we know. They they both passed over the weekend, and music fans like you mourn. Mm-hmm. If you want to get in, uh, get in contact with us on Twitter, at 
the Sports Yak with two Ks. Instagram the same. You can email us the Sports Yak two Ks at gmail.com. Chuck, you're on the Twitter. Yes, I am at forty six sports. You want to call and say hi, comment, or a question? Five seven four two one zero seven nine five zero. That about does it for today, Chuckles. I would think so. That leaves us with just one thing left to say. Ooga Luga, Pinky Higgins. You've been listening to Sports Yak, brought to you by Notre Dame Athletics. Experience the excitement of cheering the Fighting Irish onward to victory. Tickets for Notre Dame Athletic events available at und.com slash buy tickets. And by Pyramid Equipment. Think Pyramid Equipment for your snowplow needs, sales, services, and installations of residential and commercial-grade snowplows, parts, and salt spreaders. Pyramid offers military, police, and firemen's discounts. Find us, PyramidEquipmentInc.com. Three.